We have been doing, since Christmas till now, we've been doing a mad dash through the book of Mark. One of the themes of the book of Mark is Jesus is greater than. And throughout his three and a half year ministry, Mark is showing that Jesus is greater than. And we see throughout this three and a half year ministry that he's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the law. And then he enters into Holy Week, and we see still he is greater than. So we start off with Sunday, the triumphal entry, where he has this day of messianic presentation. He formally presents himself as the Messiah. And then Monday is a day of messianic authority, where he demonstrates his authority by cleansing the temple. Tuesday, he shows his authority through possession of the temple. And he confounds his opponents, his enemies, that would like to shame him, would like to embarrass him. So they start trying to ask him questions that they think have no answer or, or trap him somehow. And each opponent ends up looking like a fool. And then Thursday is a day of messianic preparation. He prepares his last meal with his disciples. He institutes the Lord's Supper, what we call communion. And by instituting that, he tells us that he is going to begin a new covenant, which once again reveals that he is greater than. He's so great that he can start a new covenant between man and God. And then he is betrayed. And he is delivered over into the hands of the Sanhedrin. And that's where we're going to catch up with him. Will he, take, will he goes to trial? And he goes through an illegal trial. And then they send him off to Pilate. That's where we'll catch up Jesus in front of Pilate. And I want us to keep in mind that, that theme, that Jesus is greater than, because even during this time that we'll cover tonight, even during chapter 15, which is Jesus ultimate humiliation, Mark still emphasizes that he's greater than. Even in his humiliation, Jesus is greater than. So let's go ahead and turn towards Mark 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and whole council. So what's going on here is they had an illegal trial at night to find Jesus guilty of a charge they didn't even, ha they didn't even have yet. But they knew the verdict would be death. They finally got him. They got him on blasphemy. So now they need to hurry up and have a legal trial before they send him off to Pontius Pilate. The Jews themselves couldn't, couldn't execute people. They couldn't enforce capital punishment. So they needed Pilate's permission. So they take him. They have a, a quick trial. But they also need to consult with one another because the charge here is blasphemy. I'll tell you who doesn't care about blasphemy, Pontius Pilate. The Romans. You say you're God, I don't care. We have a bunch of them. Just add them to our list, right? Pontius Pilate doesn't care about blasphemy. What does Pontius Pilate care about? He cares about insurrection. And so you'll notice the change of the charge. And the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Now something we need to know about Pilate. 
Pilate rose to power. He was, he was paired with a guy named Vespasius. Vespasius will, uh, at some point before this, Vespasius tries to get a coup and overthrow Caesar Tiberius. Vespasius will pay with his life for that. And almost every single person connected with Vespasius will die. We don't know why Caesar didn't kill Pontius Pilate. But Caesar didn't kill Pontius Pilate. Everyone else connected with Vespasius dies. Pontius Pilate is still connected. But he's on thin ice. And he knows he's on thin ice. He's got to very carefully watch every step he takes. Or he'll die as well. He will be killed by Caesar. So, Pilate. They take him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Notice the change in the charge here. It was blasphemy. Now it's insurrection. Are you committing treason by saying you're the king and not Caesar? That's what's going on here. And he answered to him, you have said so. And, and the way he, he arranges his answer, and if you turn over to Mark, you'll study it a little bit more. He has a conversation with Pilate here. And, and the way he says that you have said so is kind of like, yes, I am, but not how you think of a king. And we see in John that he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So essentially what he's saying to Pilate is, yes, I'm the king of the Jews, but this, this world isn't where my kingdom is. My kingdom is in heaven. So that's what he's saying. And that's why Pilate decides that he's not guilty. He's not guilty of insurrection. He finds no fault with this man. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. So, Henry, Barabbas had actually committed insurrection. He had actually committed murder in the insurrection. This man was guilty of exact the charge that was put forth against Jesus. All right? And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for him. And he answered them saying, do you want me to re release for you the king of the Jews? Now, this was something that Pilate instituted. There's no other record other than Pilate doing this. And that was every year during Passover, he would release one prisoner. A lot of historians think this was because Pilate was on thin ice with Caesar. He wanted to keep the Jews happy. But he also, the Jews hated him. So, so he was in this, especially later on in his, in his career. Earlier in his career, he came out really strong-handed against the Jews. He made the Jews really mad. He did a lot of ridiculous things. And so the Jews hated Pilate in order to get back, kind of back on their good side and in order to help his political uh, progress with Caesar, he started doing this one, this one custom to, to like make them feel better. So that was what he was doing here. And so every year during Passover, he'd le release one prisoner. So he answers them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Now Pontius Pilate is playing a political game here as well, right? He sees that the, that the chief priests who hate him, he doesn't like them, he, they're now conflicting with the masses, with the crowds. Pontius Pilate remembers Sunday. 
He remembers the triumphal entry. So he's perceiving this, he's catching on, this is his political move. If I can get the crowds and the chief priests to turn against each other, I'm in a better political position here. So that's what he's trying to do here. For he perceived that it was out of, the, out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again asked them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the kings of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! Now what's going on here? This was a huge political miscalculation by Pontius Pilate. But everybody remembered Sunday. Everybody remembered the triumphal entry. So what happens between Sunday and Friday? Well, you're a second temple Jew. You've witnessed your people oppressed for 400 years. You know that the Messiah is coming. And you know that this Messiah is going to deliver you from your oppressors. They're gonna, he's going to deliver you from Rome. And he will reign as king. And now this man has shown up on the scene and he, he claims to be the Messiah. And he has all the signs that authenticate his Messiahship. The blind see. The deaf hear. The dead live again. And he has presented himself as Messiah. Every single one of those Jews that were cheering him on on Sunday expected to see him reigning over Rome within their lifetime. They thought it was coming. And then Friday they wake up. And they see the man that they thought would be their deliverer. Handcuffed by Rome. Beaten and bloodied. what I think happened is they all got really mad at him. All of a sudden, the switch got flipped. If you're not going to be our Messiah and you've lied to us, then you deserve death. And so here's this man, Barabbas, who was an actual insurrectionist who killed people during the insurrection. And what do they do? They cheer for him because at least he's going to fight for them, right? At least he killed for them. Jesus, he went over quietly. He wasn't going to fight for them. He's in, he looks like a miserable man now. And they totally misread who the Messiah was to be. And for that reason, they not only missed the Messiah, but they cheered for him to die. This is why it's so important for us to study Scripture to be grounded in Scripture, and to not let our culture dictate how we read Scripture. To not let our cultural influences and our desire for a comfortable life and political power change how we read Scripture. So Barabbas, guilty, and in fact many theologians think that the third cross was made for Barabbas. Barabbas, guilty of insurrection, is released. And Jesus, who was not guilty of insurrection, who was perfectly innocent, takes his place. And that's the way it is for the rest of us. We are guilty of rebellion against God. But Jesus 
takes our place. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Do you have a question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> he just asked if I'm supposed to make my sermons short tonight, and it's going to be. All right. Yes. So, so they scourged him. Now, what happens here is they, they were, the Romans were masters at pain. And so what they would do is they'd lead this man to a, a large pole. They'd tie him up with his hands over his head. They'd turn his back towards them. And they would take turns, one on each side, with a whip, a leather whip with several different pieces of leather stretched out. And they would whip him. Now, that sounds painful, doesn't it? Leather smacking up against your skin. But that wasn't the most painful part. At the end of this whip, there would be pieces of bone and sharp metal and clay from broken pottery. So the actual painful part, I should say the more painful part, wasn't when the leather hit you, but when they ripped it away. Because the, the bone and the clay and the metal would stick into your skin. And as they ripped it out, it would rip off chunks of their flesh. And so it wasn't very long until whole pieces of skin and muscle were torn out. Most people that were scourged did not live through it. Most people died. Jesus lived. So after the scourging, they delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. Now the, the significance of purple was that was the color of royalty at the time, because purple was expensive dye. And so they, they were mocking him, saying, you're not really a king. That's what they're doing here. And twisting together a crown of thorns. Now this crown of thorns was about eight inches. The thorns themselves were about eight inches long. And this was another way that they were mocking him because they would put the crown on, which was a way to mock that he's not really a king. But not only that, but depictions of Caesar at the time, they would have streaks of light kind of going away from his head to kind of say that he's deity. And that's what the crown would look like as well. So it wasn't just mocking that he was not a real king, but it was also mocking that he's not really God. And they put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak put on his own clothes, and they led him out to crucify him. Now he's already been brutally tortured. He's already been mocked. And the whole idea with crucifixion was not just to kill somebody, but to humiliate them at the highest level. And the idea with making them carry their own cross was to say, even in your death, 
Rome had authority over you. Rome was going to make you pay the price. So they would make you carry the cross to a very public area. Like the city gate, where people would be coming and going. And that's where the crucifixion would happen, because they wanted to send a very clear message. And the message was, don't mess with Rome. If you mess with Rome, you will be paid, or you will pay the most brutal price imaginable. But Jesus was already so bloody and beaten. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross, because he could no longer, he was so weakened, he could no longer carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Now this was kind of like a, uh, a painkiller that they were offering him, but he refused to take it because he wanted his wits about him. That's my interjection, not Mark's. But Jesus knows that he can't have his senses dulled here. He needs to have a clear head. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide which each or what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription on the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also chief priests and with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And what's going on here is not only is he in agonizing pain, not only is he being tortured, but he's being mocked. And this is what theologians will call the end of the humiliation of Christ. So the humiliation started with him taking on flesh. He, he was equal with God, on par with God. So much so that he didn't consider it to be robbery with God. But he took on flesh and took the form of a slave. And he was a servant to man. All the way even unto his death. And this is the ultimate humiliation here. That not only is he mocked by the Romans, he's mocked by his own. Not only is he mocked by his own, but he's mocked by the robbers that are on the cross with him. He is absolutely shamed. And when the sixth hour, which would be about noon, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what's happening here is about the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., and that's at the start of sacrificing the Passover lamb. So as they begin to sacrifice the Passover lamb, which heads us all the way back to Exodus, where they would kill the lamb and paint their doorposts 
with blood. So that way the angel of death would skip over them and, and the lamb would die instead of them at the same time that they do that, Jesus dies as the Passover lamb who dies in our place. Everything in the Old Testament, everything in the Bible leads up to this point. From Adam and Eve's first sin and the killing of the first animal so that they could wear its clothing to the Exodus, to Jonah who was in the belly of the well. Everything, all the way to John the Baptist, everything is leading to this one point, this moment. And what does Jesus dread more than the torture? He dreads the division between the Godhead. Think about it, for eternity, for eternity, the Godhead had been living in perfect community, Father, Son, Spirit. But at this moment, the Father and the Spirit turn their back on the Son. And the Son takes the place of us. Because every single one of us has rebelled against God and said, forget you, God, I'm going to do things my way. And because of that, we all deserve separation from God. But Jesus, because he loved us so much, went to the cross and took that separation for us. Eternity, perfect community with the Father and the Spirit. And on the cross, their backs are turned on him. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's called in Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And you see what's going on here is, even as he's screaming in pain, they're now, this is like an experiment to them. This is a game. Hey man, Elijah might actually come. Let's, let's let him live for just a little bit longer. Let's let him suffer for just a little bit longer to see if Elijah will actually make it. It's just a game. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And what's happening here is that because of our sin, we were separated out from God. And so the Jews built the holies of holy where no one could enter in. And that curtain separated it. And what, what's happening here is God is saying, no more. You no longer need a mediator. You no longer need someone to communicate God to God for you because God has paid the price for your sin and you are no longer separated but now you have complete and total access to God. You don't need a priest to talk on your behalf. You don't need a pastor with extra special praying power. You can do it. Because Jesus paid the price for you. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of Mark 
where he opens up with, this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you see that even in his ultimate humiliation, Jesus was still greater than. He was greater than the law. He was greater than our sin that separated us from God. Jesus is greater than. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we could gather together. But most of all, Lord,